forward to a time to express our gratitude to the Lord for Timothy and Nancy and to uh, send them off prayerfully in the, in the future as things continue to develop. It was William Carey, the 18th century missionary, who inspired really generations of missionaries and continues to inspire them today, who said this, quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Carey, at the age of 33, demonstrated his own sincerity in all of that by volunteering to be the first messenger sent out by the Baptist Missionary Society. Another man, you'll recognize his last name by the name of Andrew Fuller, was a friend and fellow minister and he proposed that Kerry be sent to India. Fuller said of India that there's a gold mine in India but it seems as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? Kerry famously responded, I will go down, but remember that you must hold the rope, implying that those who are sending him must embrace their responsibility to be his constant support and encouragement in prayer and in financial support. By God's design, there are those who go. You're all aware of the Great Commission passages in the Gospels. There are those who go, and then there are those who send. And I think sometimes we don't understand or see the significance of sending as we ought. How vital it is to have a group of faithful supporters who are at home holding the rope for those who go down into the mine to bring forth Christ's treasures. And the point really this morning, beloved, is that this thing that is the Great Commission is our collective effort, as has been said a number of times this morning. It's not merely the effort and the sweat and the exertion of those who go, but it is also a co-fellowship, a co-labor of those who remain at home. You're just as much as involved in missions as those who leave. Turn with me to the third epistle of John, if you are not there. And what we find in this epistle is written, at least in part, as a commendation of a man, a single man named Gaius, who demonstrated his faithfulness by supporting missionaries. Who is Gaius? Well, we don't know. He's a prominent man perhaps an elder in the church. We know that he's a generous homeowner. We think probably that the church gathered in his home, but what is known for sure is that traveling missionaries certainly stayed in his home and they were refreshed by Gaius's kindness. This little book contains one of the most significant treatments of going and sending outside of the Great Commission passages. You might wonder sometimes when you read a book as short as this and a book that's directed to an individual and think, how, how did this find itself into the canon of Scripture? Why is this here? And I think undoubtedly, at least in part, it is here to teach us by example. We need to learn something from Gaius. This book was included, at least in part, to teach us how to support gospel ministry. 
So the title of this morning's message is Giving Like Gaius. John describes Gaius as a faithful man. He was faithful in his support of those who went out for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. So this morning in an expedited fashion, I'm going to try and give you five marks of a faithful sender. Five marks of a faithful sender. Five ways that you can faithfully send and support those who go out for Christ and for the gospel. And I want you to read the text with me just through verse 8. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear my child, of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and especially when they are strangers and they have testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Five marks of a faithful sender. Number one, Gaius was giving reflexively. Reflexively. What do I mean by that? Well, this, that this faithful brother gave in response to what was going on in his heart and soul. All the good that he had received from the Lord prompted him to give back to the Lord. The Lord had loved Gaius. The Lord had given his only son for Gaius. He had redeemed Gaius. He had blessed him richly with all the blessings, all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And so this act of hospitality on Gaius's part was really a reciprocal act of gratitude to God. Look at the first verse. The elder, that's a reference to John himself, the author of this letter, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. I love that verse. I told you before I was going to quit apologizing for using that antiquated term beloved when I preached and I do it on biblical authority because John uses that term all the time to speak to the church and it's true. We are knit together, aren't we? There is a mutuality of our love and here is John in the same way speaking to Gaius and he says to Gaius, you are beloved and by that he's referring to the fact that he was beloved of God. And then he goes on to say, whom I love in the truth. In fact, beloved is used three times in this brief section in chapter, in verse 1, verse 2, verse 5. You'll see it again down in verse 11. Those are all singular. They're all directed to Gaius. And John uses this term of endearment positionally when he speaks of the people of God. They are the beloved of God. They are God's loved ones. That's what you are if you are in Christ. You are loved, beloved of God. He also uses it personally to speak of his personal love and affection for his brother and sister in Christ. You remember that John is just, he's the apostle of love. He's consumed with love. 
You remember he refers to himself anonymously in the gospel under his name as the disciple whom Jesus what? Loved. He was astonished, really. Never, never lost his astonishment that God would love him. We're tied together by that perfect bond of unity, the love of God and the love that we share for the brethren. Gaius is in the truth. Gaius's faith is genuine, and John is writing to commend him. Verse 2, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. Now, I like that. We oftentimes speak about the reality that prayer is worship and that it should be focused on spiritual things. We ought to elevate God in our prayers. We ought to seek his face as well as his hand. But here is John, an apostle, praying for the prosperity in every way, shape, and form imaginable. That he would prosper in body and that he would prosper materially. And he says that you would be in good health. He prays that he would be healthy, that he would be strong. And note that he says, just as your soul also prospers. Again, this is a man who is clearly in Christ. You'll see down in verse 5, John describes him as faithful. In verse 6, he, he, is, he is a man who is marked by love. And it's easy, isn't it, to pray for a man to, to, to excel financially when the man is a good steward of what he possesses by God's grace. All of these things would speak to the fact that Gaius is in fact in the kingdom of God and that he has received freely salvation from God and now freely wants to pour that back out. Just as God loved Gaius, now Gaius loves the Lord. He loves the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves those who proclaim it and he's willing to share with them. He wants to see Christ magnified. He loves the, the, the ethnos, the nations, the Gentiles. He wants to see non-Christians become Christians and he's willing to put his money where his heart is. If I could put it this way, there's just this overflow of gratitude in this man's life for all that God has given to him. And now he wants to open his pocketbook so that he can give back and see the gospel spread. This is what I mean by reflexive generosity. Please note this. He's not like so many who go to the state church. He's not like so many who go to the liberal church. He's not like so many who are seeking to earn their way to heaven by giving to a good cause in the name of Jesus. No, he's not trying to get on, good si on God's good side. He's not trying to earn heaven. He's not trying to counterbalance his sinful debt to God by, by giving some cash to the kingdom of heaven. He is not trying to get anything from God or anything from man, he simply wants to take what God has stored up in his own heart, the salvation that he has received, and he wants to pour it right back out and invest it in the kingdom of heaven. You might say Gaius has received freely, and therefore freely he gives. Well, there's a second mark of a faithful sender that John commends in Gaius's life. You find it in verses three and four, and that is that Gaius gave obediently. <clears throat> he gave obediently. He says, I was very glad, this is John speaking, when the brethren came and testified to your truth. 
That is how you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Here John again in very affectionate terms speaks of the reality that he was visited and the church that John was pastoring was visited by these traveling missionaries who had earlier been with Gaius. And they come from Gaius and they bring a good report about Gaius. They testified about the truth, John says, in him. Or John says actually to your truth. And what he means by that is the truth that is in John. And he, he even clarifies that. He says that is how you're walking in the truth. What, what they testified to Gaius was how you know the truth and you live obediently to the truth. And that's evidenced even by the way you gave. Now a little context here might help. It was very common in the early church as men and women even went around and they testified to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ that they would walk into a town and being that there was a shortage of Motel 6s in that day and age, there was ever a need for a place for Christian missionaries to stay, for believers to open their homes. And so when you're reading through the New Testament and you hear the commandment of Scripture to be hospitable, that's really what this is referring to. It's that idea of the love of strangers, the willingness to, to give what you have to those that you don't know, particularly if they came in the name of Christ as those who had a gospel ministry. And many of you here have done that very specifically. But here are these traveling missionaries who had been helped by Gaius, who no doubt had been helped with food and lodging and had been encouraged by the fellowship. And they're relaying all of this to John, and John is now writing to Gaius to say, you can't believe what I heard about you. I'm so encouraged by this. My joy is overflowing at what I heard, and I just want you to know. I want you to know what the people are saying, Gaius. Gaius, you are a delight, and when the report of your love and your generosity and your hospitality came to my ear, my heart burst out in joy because you are walking in the truth. Christ is evident in you. It's very obvious. You are a man, Gaius, who is characterized by love for Christ, love for the gospel, love for the Lord, and you want him to be known. And people are talking. You see, Gaius understood something that, that scripturally speaking, and we're not even going to take time to develop this today, but you know this, that God calls us as saints to, to divest ourselves of some of what he's given to us for the purpose of investing in the kingdom of heaven, for storing up treasure in heaven. And part of that is giving to this gospel mandate to those who go. And Gaius is even eager to do it. I love the statement that Paul makes in the same context of gospel ministry giving in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, where he speaks about the readiness of the believer. That's a question that, that stands before each one of us at all times. Are you ready 
Have you thought through, are you prepared so that you're ready to do what you can do, what the Lord has given to you, and and are you ready to enable others to engage in gospel ministry through giving? Paul says, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What does he mean by that? Well, that God doesn't expect us to give what we do not have. But he does expect us to share what we do. And Gaius is doing the very same thing that those Macedonians were doing in 2 Corinthians 8. When they, Paul writes, overflowed with a wealth of liberality. What does that mean? They just opened their wallets. They opened the spigot. They gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave of their own accord. And I love this word. They were begging Paul for participation in this ministry. That's the kind of heart that God wants in our giving, brothers and sisters. The heart that, that is so longing to, to be engaged in this work that we would, we would beg to be part of it. Paul goes on to say that that's a grace when a church thinks like that. That is very evidence of God in their midst. Men don't open their wallets very easily, do they? Giving to others is not part of the human condition. They crank it up at Christmas maybe for a little while, throw a couple of things in the red pot where the guy rings the bell. But in reality, we, we tend not to think beyond our own noses and our own walls and our own families, and that's the way mankind is. What is it that causes someone to give generously even beyond maybe what they're able? That means at the level of sacrifice. What is it that moves someone to do that? It's the grace of God in a heart. That's why John's joy is so great. Gaius gave reflexively. Gaius gave obediently. Thirdly, Gaius gave generously. Look at verse 5. Generously. Beloved, says John, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and especially when they're strangers. John commends Gaius. But not just for walking in the truth. He commends him specifically here for what he was accomplishing for the brethren, for those Christians. And he says that, 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 that giving even went to a higher bar when, when I understood that these men were strangers to you. You didn't know them. And yet you gave to them anyway. These men who were out to make disciples of the Gentiles. Verse 6, and they have testified to your love before the church. Again, this they is speaking of those traveling missionaries, those brethren who came to John's church, and they had been with Gaius for some time. And when they finished their work, they reported to John. Then they reported to the church about the gracious reception that they received from this faithful guy. Again, we don't know. John doesn't list out exactly what he did for them. But clearly, his goodness and his generosity, his kindness, get this, pay attention to this. If they're talking about it, why are they talking about it? Because it left an imprint. What Gaius did for them overwhelmed them, surprised them. This was out of the ordinary. Clearly, Gaius had anticipated their needs. Clearly, this man had exceeded their expectations. 
And these gospel workers left so blessed that they couldn't stop talking. They talked to John about it. Then they had to talk to the church about it. And they just went from place to place saying, have you heard of this man? He's got a reputation now for expending himself on the behalf of those who go out for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. John says, I just want to affirm you in this, Gaius. You are doing well when you do this kind of thing. This is right. This is the way it ought to be when you treat missionaries like this. This is the very thing that love does. It, it, it pours out for the benefit of God and others. John goes further. Look at the last part of verse 6. He says, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And here John turns the corner a little bit. He begins to speak now about the future, and maybe he had in mind that these men were going to, in fact, go back through and encounter Gaius yet again. Maybe he's just trying to help John see how far this kind of care should go. He's anticipating really Gaius' faithfulness in the future. And he says, look, as you receive them in your home, as you practice hospitality, don't forget they've got the next leg of the journey. You need to amply supply them and send them on their way. My mother-in-law is an astonishing lady. One thing that is characteristic of her is you never leave her house empty-handed, never. And I have driven away from there down in San Luis Obispo umpteen times. I'm full, I get in the car, I don't want any more to eat, I'm sated from having spent time in her kitchen and at her house, and yet inevitably there's a cooler, there's a bag, and it's not like you open it up and there's a couple of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in there. I mean, it's roast beef, it's... It's Dijon mustard. It's a fresh beefsteak tomato. It's dessert. It's on and on because she can't imagine driving I-5 without going out, being sent out from her house, amply supplied. Brethren, that is what we're called to do. Sending became a technical term for generously supplying someone for missionary endeavor. In fact, that phrase, to send on one's way, it's used nine times in the New Testament. And almost every time it's used in a missions context. And you'll note that John says not only to send them, but you send them in a manner worthy of God. You send them in a way that shows that you honor God highly. You honor the gospel highly. You honor their sacrifice highly. You even honor their work highly for the sake of the Gentiles. You treat them bountifully. You be open-handed. You be unselfish. You be charitable to these strangers who are doing the Lord's work, who have left home to make Christ known. Supply them fully. They should have no need. You send them in a manner worthy of God. Does God say, how does God supply your need, by the way? Could I ask? Have you been amply supplied? I have. Does he care for you physically, your health, materially? Does he care for you spiritually? 
Has he supplied you amply? Has he given you more than you need? Undoubtedly. God has been gracious to us. And so when he says, send them in a manner worthy of God, it's with God in your mind and a recognition of all that God has given to you. We have received so richly, how can we send people away sparsely? Right? Titus 3.13, we hear the same sort of thing. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. That's the idea. Tom Steller, who is the pastor for missions from Bethlehem Baptist Church, makes a great statement. He says, the name of God is at stake in how we treat our missionaries. God is glorified when we support them substantially with our prayers, with our money, with our time, and in a myriad of other practical ways. God is not glorified when our missionaries are simply a name on the back of the church bulletin or a line item in the budget. He goes on, there is a world of difference between a church having a missionary and a church sending a missionary. But when we send them in a manner worthy of God, then God is glorified, then our souls prosper, and we are fellow workers with the truth. We are in sync with God's heartbeat, and his purpose is to be glorified among all the peoples. Now, Fourthly, there is a certain type of person who is to be sent out with our support. We're told in this text, verse 7, that Gaius gave wisely. Look at it. <clears throat> he says, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. These people were to be richly supplied for two reasons. First, John says, it's because they went out for the sake of the name, and that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is the totality of his person and his work, his glory, his reputation, and the gospel which recon reconciles God to man. That is what he means by his name. In other words, these people were preaching the true Christ and the true gospel and the true and only way to salvation. These people had a passion to make Christ's name famous and to spread his glory and to exalt his reputation. And really that drives us, doesn't it, to the, to the whole reason that we would give to missions. It's, it's not even mostly out of love for the unsaved that we give. It's mostly and first and foremost, we give to make God's name known, to make Christ's name known, to exalt him in the eyes of the nations. That's why we give, that's why we go. And the fuel that drives all of that has got to be love for Christ in your heart. And that's the way it was with these who had stayed at Gaius' house. Secondly, you'll note that these people who went out accepted nothing from the Gentiles. And by Gentiles, he simply means the non-believer. Ethnikos, it's pagans, Gentiles, unbelievers. And it's not that they were too proud to receive something from these people. But here's the key point for us. You see, Gaius was armed with this understanding for sure, and obviously so was John, and we need to be. 
that financial burden for missions does not fall upon those who hear the gospel preached. Financial burden for missions falls squarely on the shoulders of the church. Again, we have received freely. Therefore, we give freely. Oftentimes we'll have, well, occasionally we'll have people come from our local area to to, to pursue some kind of biblical counseling. And they'll ask me, what do I owe you at the end of the, and it always shocks me, what do you owe me? You owe me nothing. You owe Jesus Christ your heart. We have received freely of God's goodness. We give freely of God's goodness to others. We are in it, brothers and sisters, to give, not to get anything. And we want that to be crystal clear, crystal clear. We don't want any confusion, no misunderstanding of our motivations. Again, every year when I talk to people about going up to Alaska in the summers, they say to me, that must be nice. It's such a beautiful place. Do you ever go fishing? That's what they ask. I'm here to tell you, we've never gone fishing. And I don't say that in pride. I love fishing. I would love to fish. Nothing wrong with a 30-pound, 50-pound, 60-pound king salmon on your rod. It's okay. But what's not okay is going to a native community that is used to white men taking from them and coupling that together with a little bit of gospel in Jesus' name so that I can fish and hunt your land. We don't do it. We've been invited and we don't do it. We don't sightsee. We don't do any of that stuff. And that's all purposeful and it's for this very reason that we want no confusion, no confusion at all. We want them to understand that we are going out for the sake of the name and that name alone. Well, Gaius, you remember, I hope, that we're looking at five marks of a faithful sender. Gaius gave reflexively and obediently. He gave generously. He gave wisely. And fifth and finally, Gaius gave cooperatively. And if you, if you don't get any of the principles of this passage, cling to this one. Because this will change your perspective. Gaius gave cooperatively. Verse 8. Therefore we ought to support such men. And if I could read it in the way it is in the original, it would say this, we, therefore. That's where the emphasis is. The we is right up front in the sentence. We, therefore, ought to support such men. We need to undertake this so that they can rise to the call and they can do what they've been appointed by God to do. And it is the task of those of us who are back home and gainfully employed to, to meet their needs so that they can give themselves to the work. Note the word ought, underline it, circle it. There is a moral obligation to support them. This is the right thing to do. And he gives us this beautiful so that, right after that. So that, here's the purpose. 
in supporting these men. What is that purpose? So that we may be fellow workers. That's where I get cooperatively. We operate in co, that is together. We work together in this. We are a fellow worker with the truth. Do you understand what this is saying? This is dynamic. This will change the way you give your money. Because what it tells us is, and the word is together worker. That's literally what it means. You're a together worker. It means that there's a fellowship in the work. Whatever you do to support the work is in part doing the work. When God looks at it all in the mix. When we provide them with what they need, the senders enter into a vital partnership with those who are sent. Brother and sister, you may have never been to Ukraine, but you've ministered in Ukraine. You may not know this, but you have labored for decades among the Athabascans and the Inupaks and the Yupiks in Alaska. And the only reason a number of us have been able to go as often as we've been able to go to preach the gospel is because of the generosity, generosity of this body, which of course is the outflow, the overflow of the grace of God in our midst. Beloved, you have ministered in Costa Rica, in Africa, in China, in India, in Mexico, and I don't even know how many other places. Giving, listen, is not less than going. We need people to go and we need people to stay so that they can earn money to support those who go. Don't minimize your part in the work of Christ. There is no secular job. All of it is sanctified. All of it is for the cause of Christ. Let us then participate and do our part in this great corporate effort. Let me ask you this morning, brother, sister, are you a goer or are you a sender? It may be that the Lord has made you a goer. It may be that the emphasis of your life and what the Lord has called you to is to send. But I will tell you this, you cannot be a Christian and be neither. Because Christians, by the very nature of the work of God done in the heart as he saves us in the indwelling spirit, the very nature of that salvation makes us want to see others saved, makes us want to exalt Christ, makes us want to preach the word, gives us a burden for the great commission. So which are you? And maybe you're both, and I praise God for that. All of us at some level should be both. And I want to assure you, I really do, from, from all I can tell of my own heart, and I have asked the Lord to search it, I have not preached this message today in order to manipulate anyone. If you feel manipulated this morning, please don't give. That would be against the very spirit of which John wrote when he wrote to Gaius, which was simply to commend him for doing something that he never asked for. God loves a cheerful giver. And giving, first and foremost, is a matter of the heart. 
Well, we're going to take a special offering for those going to Alaska next week. They are, in fact, going out for the sake of the name. And I know you have been so generous and so faithful in the past. I know that you are grateful for Christ. I know that you are grateful for the gospel. I know in gratitude you love those who spoke the truth to you. I know that you long to participate in this work. And my encouragement to you this morning is simply this. Let your gratitude spill over so that others might enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus says to use unrighteous money or mammon so that one day there will be friends of yours who will greet you in eternal dwellings. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine it. Someone standing to greet me as I enter into heaven with an embrace of an eternal <laughs> significance to say thank you. Let's take our offering together. We're going to wrap with a, uh, a hymn, I think probably unfamiliar to some of you. Um, in fact, it's a 19th century hymn, Timothy, uh, so apologize. It might be in your German hymnal, but it's a great emphasis uh, this morning um, on our focus on taking the gospel to the world. It's called Lift High the Cross. Love of Christ proclaim till all the world adore his sacred name.
Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen, ascended, and interceding even now on our behalf. There is nothing we could give. We're the whole world ours. Lord, nothing we could give that compares. Thank you for the grace given today as your people have opened up their hearts and their wallets to support your purposes in this world. We ask that every dollar might result, Lord, in your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. There is choir practice.